Welcome to the Edge of the Sticker podcast with Brad and Bobby Frank. <laughs> hey, Brad. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> good, to, good to see you. Oh, same here. Wow, we've we've missed a couple of weeks and our we screwed up our timing on the uh, on the big intro there. It's funny, you know. So I was thinking about uh, uh, in June we have two dates that have uh, been hard days, as we call them, for many years now, and yes. that is uh, the anniversary of when Mom died in. Uh, sort of the first half of June and then dad's birthday, uh, later in the month. And, uh, you know, for years and years, we've called each other and said, ah, it's a hard day. (laughs) And we kind of joke and laugh it off. And, but it's always kind of in the back of our minds, I think when the calendar rolls around, um, and we have in August 40 year anniversary of when dad died. So, you know, that's a, that's a milestone hard day. That's sort of even in a, in a whole different category. So, um, anyway, it got me thinking about that. This is years and years. I mean, hell, 40 years is, that's a lifetime ago. And yet we still think about that, uh, you know, all this time later and we still think of it in terms of it's a hard day. So it made me think, when does the hard day become not a memory of the things that uh, that could have been or the things that you lost, but a celebration of of what you had during the years or the time that uh, that everybody was alive and that we were all together? Um, apparently, it's longer than forty years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that I think the hard part of the hard day. The actual experience of it as a hard day, um, I, I don't think that that for me at least that's no longer a thing. You know, yeah, it's, it's an acknowledgement of it. And I don't, as I think back, I don't remember how long after, but I'm I'm ballparking five, six, seven years that afterwards that the emotional content of the day had changed. Certainly, the first one. You know the the mm-hmm. anniversary, the first anniversary was emotionally over overwhelming, and yeah. it, and just thinking back to it felt like it was forever ago, and yet it felt like it was a minute ago, and 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 really that's still kind of the way it is, but not with a lot of emotion anymore, and and now it's a point of connection more than it is a more than it is an experience of the loss. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, as, as you said, we joke about it, like this is hard day number 14 or this is hard day number 22 or, and, and even if we didn't talk, we would leave messages with, for one another to, to that extent. Um, but it was clearly on in our minds, we needed to connect with one another. And it was something that, that we could both expect that somebody else would understand. But yeah, I, I, it's a good question. You know, when, when does it stop being emotionally sad and start being just a, an acknowledgement of something that was a common experience that is going to always link us. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't have a great answer for it. And I don't have the magic psychological piece of insight that says after X number of days or hours or minutes, then our emotions mute and we're back in the world. But I mean, clearly we're back in the world and have been for a really long time. Right. Maybe it's just part of healing is recognizing and cataloging when things happen, you know, to mark time. So intellectually, do we know that, you know, it takes six months to get over something or to process it or to integrate it? And that's just part of the the counting because um, there's a lot of counting. There's a lot of counting. I think we talked about that in the book. We did. We did. What, you know, in, in one way, which is, you know, counting like the actual uh, amassing and accumulation of of experiences, but also like, what do you count on? What do you depend on? And, and the, the word works in both ways. And maybe in, in, in this situation, um, you know, we depend on another pass around the, around the year to, to kind of validate our position, validate that we've, that we're still doing okay. Um, and maybe use it as a way of marking where, where we've been in, in comparison point. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, that the first year is always the hardest. Well, I think is, is always the hardest because everything's new. Every experience that you yeah. have is the first time you've had that experience without the, whatever the person or the, the thing that you've lost and having to, um, kind of hit that initial pass at a, at a birthday, at a, at a graduation, at a, at a test, at a whatever, you know, whereas before you knew life to be one way and now it's a different way. That's hard. Um, it gets easier over time, but I, I, I'm, again, I'm thinking emotionally that the, that the really intense emotions around the, uh, the loss five to seven years, I think by then you're pretty much, you're not experiencing it the same way. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Five years seems like it's a milestone, kind of a uh, a length of time. So maybe it is somewhere in that neighborhood. But I do. I think you're right. The the first year where everything, you know, every birthday, every holiday, every everything, every day is like a new experience with a new reality. Yeah, not not knowing if you're going to get through it or how you're going to get through it. Um, there's because that that first year, there's not a lot of trust that things are ever going to be okay again. Yeah. And as you, as you do the next thing, I mean, and you know, the next things start immediately. They start as soon as you get the information because mm-hmm. you still got to get up that next day. You still got to, you got to plan the funeral. You got to, um, got to deal with feeding the dogs or you have to decide when the kids are going to go back to school or whatever, whatever the stuff that's on your plate. I mean, it's, it doesn't go away. Um, I mean, one of the beauties of Shiva within, you know, the Jewish tradition is that for people who observe it, it's seven days of not having to deal with any of that. All, the, everything is done. You, everything's done for you and you are just doing mourning. But then after the seven yeah. days, you, you reenter the world, at least incrementally. And um, the, but the reality is that even that, you know, it's, it's the first day of Shiva. How am I going to get through the first day of Shiva? Uh, mm-hmm. so we, we are remarkably adaptable as a species and we 
handle and manage new things all the time. And we use the stores of knowledge and experience that we've accumulated to try to approximate what the next best decision is going to be. And we make it. And sometimes it's right and sometimes it isn't. And when it is, then we keep going. And when it's not, we, we adjust. Um, but that's easy to say from a distance. It's harder to do in the moment. And trying to push yourself through difficult times to get to the next moment is sometimes the max effort that, that you have to give. Yeah. And it's not about, it's not going to be pretty. You just need it to happen. Um, you know, we probably, just knowing our personalities within that context of the first year, probably we're using sarcastic humor to deal with a lot of what was going on anyway. <laughs> I would assume so. so <laughs> it isn't as if that would have been new post five years. Um, but even, you know, we just got better at it as time went on. <laughs> I was texting with a friend yesterday. We had a classmate pass away three months ago or so. Mm -hmm. He said that he feels more connected uh, and more compassionate for others. This is three months post. Um, and that he feels like he wants to be a conduit for our friend who passed away's memory, but he's afraid of losing those connections, losing those memories, losing, you know, the thing that are the, the, the vivid presence of this person, um, which, yeah. I, and I remember that I remember like forgetting things mm. and being worried about, losing you know those connections and and whether it was dad or, or mom or with anybody who's passed away you know or any change in circumstance where you uh, where you have to form a new kind of reality so uh, anyway when he texted that it definitely made me think about about those sorts of things and i don't you know that's not a five-year window that's that's a lifetime where year mm -hmm. after year things fade and you sort of, you know, the person who passed away or the thing that you're grieving is, is frozen in time at that moment when it happened, really, you know, the memories yeah. stop, um, though they might all be there <laughs> in <laughs> the, the thing that started this text was I had thought about, uh, this friend and a very specific thing. And, you know, I texted, uh, texted, this other guy and uh you know then he shared a bunch of memories and it's like you know these are things from high school or before yeah. that uh, are vivid and are they're all sort of inside i think um when they surface when they when they break through and become conscious then maybe those are the moments where uh you know, you feel that connection again, you feel the presence or you feel something more than, uh, you know, just this distant memory of someone who existed long ago. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that that happens even without loss. You know, you, um, 
you go years and years without talking to somebody, they come in town and you go out for coffee or, or have dinner and you have this surge of, of emotion, hopefully positive emotion and, and reconnection and think, wow, you know, I, I really miss this person. I really want to stay in touch. I really want things to be different. And a week later, you're back to the exact same pattern and um, probably are not any more in touch than you had been the last several years and probably won't be. But you can have those those revisiting of the of the puddles of emotion that are mm-hmm. that kind of are, are part of your life um and so and it doesn't have to necessarily be just in a loss it can just be when your paths cross your your circles intersect again in some way and then that that point there's a lot of intensity but then as everything continues to evolve and the connection is lost, the intensity is lost too. And five years, mm-hmm. 10 years, if you cross again, you still get it. Um, and that's, you know, people talk about, yeah, it feels like I haven't, this was my best friend. We haven't talked in 20 years, but we picked up as if we never were out of touch. Um, it's because, yeah, that's all still inside. Those, those memories that you have are accessible at that point. Um, but they aren't necessarily accessible when, you don't have a stimulus to to bring them out. So we've got a lot inside that we don't deal with a lot of the time. <laughs> Maybe that's a, a way to think about it. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> that, that kind of is. We're yeah. fragile. <laughs> we're fragile and we're, uh, God, it's just the hard drive never fills up either. You know, <laughs> we never run out of memory. Yeah, <laughs> Well, you know, like, like there'll be songs and smells are two of the ones that are, are most, um, poignant, you know, yeah. we, we, we tend to, to asso- associate emotions with those in, in the way that we store them in our brain. Um, and so, um, I can't think of the name of the song. I think it was a like turnaround bright side or something. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, it was the song that was on the radio either right before I walked in, we walked into dad's office or when I got in the car afterwards. But that song immediately takes me back. Total eclipse of the heart. Total eclipse of the heart. That, yeah. That's the one. Is it Bonnie Raitt? Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler. Yeah. Yeah, That's the song. So I guess you were, (laughs) I mean, you were there. So I guess you associate it with the same thing. But it's like it, it's a stopping point. Whatever conversation's going on, whatever I'm thinking about, whatever it is, you know, that's that's yeah. a hard pause right there. But you know, so I used to worry about I'd forget what dad's voice was, you know, what he what he sounded like. And and that was like a, a preoccupation. Like I can't forget it. I can't forget it. I can't forget it. And there was this this recurrent sense that I would be doing him a disservice if I were not completely focused on remembering his voice. And at some point I stopped using, but that was sort of an obsessive way of, of dealing with anxiety that if I focused on that, then I wasn't necessarily focused on the bigger picture of what it meant to lose him or the sadness or the, the, you know, my trust in the world, because how could somebody be taken at that age out of nowhere with no, no illness that we knew about, you know, just, just, Boom! It's, it happened. Um, so instead, you focus on on this thing and try to control it and control it and control it and control it until you don't have to control it anymore. Um, and so 
The other thing that happens that now I have either the benefit or the insight of time is I'm not really that concerned about whether or not I remember his voice because inside my head there is a there's a kind of unified whole of who he was that may have very little to do with who he actually was. But it's comforting yeah. to me to remember him in a particular way. And, you know, we get rid of all the hard edges and get rid of all the negative stuff. And he becomes a uh, an idealized version of himself in my mind. And it's comforting. And I don't have to have it confronted. You know, I, I don't feel like I need somebody to say, well, actually, do you remember the time when he because I may or may not remember it, but it doesn't serve any purpose right now. You know, it's, it's comfortable. Um, now, I think we're fortunate that we don't have the kinds of memories that um, need to be exorcised, that need to be dealt with so that we can move on with our lives. But certainly when there are negative and, and traumatic memories that are associated with somebody, and you know, their loss is more even more complicated. Yeah. How do you, how do you counsel people who are dealing with that you know the um the reality is that sometimes that that loss whether it's through death or through you know just kind of deciding i can't can't have you in my life anymore uh is a necessary part for somebody to escape some really terrible stuff um the hard part often is recognizing that the things that are done to you are not necessarily done because you deserve them and that the people who did them may be truly evil. I think that happens a little bit of the time, but a lot of the time it's people who are struggling with their own stuff that don't know what they're doing and don't know how to do it any differently. And you ended up being a victim in a way that um, wasn't necessarily intended. And it doesn't undo the wrongness of what was done. And it doesn't provide necessarily much solace for being able to move forward, but it does help because we do tend to blame ourselves when stuff like that happens to us. What did I do wrong? What could I have do, done differently? If I would have only been perfect, then this abuse wouldn't have happened. This trauma wouldn't have occurred. Um, but that can relieve some of the um, some of that culpability that we tend to carry for ourselves. And do you need to forgive the person who's been horrible to you? You don't need to. Can it be helpful to to refocus the energy so that you know they don't continue to be a um, a drain on you? It can, but that's a it's a long process, um, and it's yeah. hard to be able to to realize that getting away, however that's going to look, uh, that that the hard days were the days when you were with them, not. Right. When you've been escaped from them, not when you've escaped from them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's not, not always an easy, clean, most relationships are, excuse me, not easy or clean. And so the ending of them are, are also not easy or clean. Yep. Man. I mean, I'm just thinking about, uh, that, scenario where you know you're kind of balancing that grief or the the end of something maybe with some guilt about you know how things were or fear i mean all those things that i think there's a natural tendency that you want to give people the benefit of the doubt you want to hope that they're 
they're ultimately good. Um, I can think of, um, you know, there, there's the old saying, don't speak ill of the dead. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it kind of goes in the face of it, but I, I think we could all agree that everybody's, everybody has sort of this 360 degree presentation and we don't ever mm-hmm. see the whole 360 degrees of anybody. And if the, if the slice of that pie that we've experienced has been patently negative, abusive, uh, mean-spirited, uh, dismissive, prejudiced, myopic, whatever it is, then is it incumbent upon us to try to find the other part of the circle that we didn't see so that we have a more sympathetic view? Um, I, I think in a perfect world, maybe that can be helpful to help us move on. But realistically, they're just taking up more energy at that point. And yeah. if what you've known of somebody has been all those negative things, uh, sometimes the easiest thing is just to try to move forward. Now, if you can't, if you get stuck in that, uh, obviously it, it's not about trying to make them seem better. It's about trying to help you feel better. And sometimes just the expression of that anger and, and the conflict, you know, I, people are conflicted. They, for the most part, even in terrible relationships, there are things that people point to that say, but this part was good. Yeah. And so they they are, there's some level of balance. It probably doesn't balance out to, to undo the, the yuck stuff, but to be able to acknowledge that it's okay to feel like you got the raw end of the deal and that person was horrible to you and not have to make excuses for them in order for you to get, for you to feel better. I think you can, that's a, that's a reasonable thing. Um, if you're trying to understand it in, in a broader context and you look at, well, the way that they were brought up or the, their family history or this experience in that war or that experience with this trauma. Um, yeah, that can, that can give you an intellectual balance, but it doesn't undo your, your experience of it. And that emotional experience, like you talked about with your friend in the email who wants to, to be a conduit for the positive of what your deceased friend was, you know, sometimes we end up being a conduit for the negative stuff too. And that doesn't help anybody mm-hmm. particularly. It doesn't help you. So your job at that point is to try to shed it, to move on to something else. Don't let that impact how you interact with the world anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard enough. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> right. We don't need to go looking for trouble and for yeah. shit to drag us down. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, there, there's plenty that's already built into the system. It's, you don't have to buy the a la carte shit. It's, it's, it's in the, the, as is, as served life that we're living. The a la carte version. I'll take a, a side of guilt and, uh, you know, give me some, give me some bad memories with that. Yeah. I'd like some shame with that too, please. <laughs> Oh, man, that's really funny. So I was, uh, while you were talking about dad's voice, I was looking on my computer. I have a recording somewhere from his. uh, From his answering machine, right? The Codaphone. Yes. 1983 Codaphone. (laughs) 
You remember that thing? I do. Yeah. That, that was, was high a, tech. It was high tech. Oh my God. That was a, that was a serious piece of equipment. And I, I remember that it cost him thousands of dollars for an answering <laughs> machine. And the thing was the size of, you know, it was huge. It was like, it was a big console <laughs> with yeah. all sorts of buttons and things. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was a big deal. But man, to be able to call it and see if you had messages, that was yeah. about the coolest thing ever. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, I have that recording somewhere. In fact, here you go. I actually have the cassette right there. It's backwards, wow, but wow. it says the voice of Keith H. Frank <laughs> from the Codaphone. A from the Codaphone. B from Bobby's Bar Mitzvah. Do not record wow. on this tape. <laughs> but is I have digitized. Is it still or is it just the case? Still the tape. Excellent. And is, you did go. you write on that? You don't record on this? Dad's voice from Codaphone. Do not record. Okay, yes. good. That's on side one. Side two is available, though, <laughs> and empty, so we can put whatever we want. If only we could find a cassette recorder that we could put that in. And that's that's the problem, yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> All those uh, things I, that we thought uh, were will. technologically forever end up not being technologically forever. It's the truth. Well, I will find a way to... Uh, I'll find the the digital version of this and maybe I'll, I'll put it on the podcast. There you go. Then it will be there forever. And then we could see whether we sound like him. That's right. Yep. So we, uh, just immediately following this, we have a very special guest joining us. It's Keith Frank from 1983. (laughs) Hello. I am not in the office at this time. You will leave a message at the sound of the tone. I will get back to you as soon as possible. 